I'm going to read chapter 2, verse 11 through uh, verse 17. And this is God's Word, which is given to us in love. So um, please listen. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask Him to help us to understand His Word tonight. Oh Lord, You know us. You know every one of us intimately. And You have made us for Yourself. And You know the struggles that we bring in this room. You know our, our doubts and our fears. And Lord, you know, uh, you know us intimately because You have made us for Yourself. Tonight, oh Lord, we come from all over the map. Some of us having known you for quite some time. Others of us not so sure what to make of you. Others of us, Lord, wondering if you really do care about us. And so tonight, wherever we come from, we pray that you would meet us and that you would speak to us and that you would teach us something about the real beauty of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Um, how many of you guys know, know the name? Uh, his name is Salvatore or Salvatore Granvolo. Granvono, do you know that name? Okay, I didn't think so. Well, in 1992, Salvatore, his, his nickname was Sammy the Bull. He was the highest ranking member of the American Mafia, okay? And in 1992, he defected and broke his blood oath of silence and testified against his boss, a man that some of you might know, a man named John Gotti. And as a result, Gotti went to prison, the Cosa Nostra crime family was decimated, and Gravano moved, quote, from one social planet to another, in the words of the presiding judge over the case. In order to protect him from retaliation, Gravano entered the federal government's witness protection program. Now, when that happened, Gravano actually experienced or underwent two huge social transformations. First, by switching allegiance from the crime family, from the highly structured social and economic world of organized crime. He did that first. And secondly, it was when he entered into the witness protection program. And as a big shift as the former move was, it was not as life-changing as the latter one was. You see, by entering into this witness protection program, to do so is to erase, erase all vestiges of a person's past and to create an entire new identity. 
so as to protect the person and his or her family from the retaliation of those that were convicted. They have new names. They get new birth records. They get new tax records. They even get new family histories and genealogies. Think about that. They get new homes and new vocation. It's an entire new identity. The old world is gone and a whole new world is created in which the witness now lives. Why begin a sermon from the book of First Peter with that tonight? In many, many ways, what Peter is writing to his readers there in the land of Asia Minor is very, very similar. And I would say even more profound than what you've heard about the witness protection story that I just shared with you. Because Peter is saying that when a man or a woman comes to Christ, to use Peter's language, when they are born again into a living hope and have been united with Christ, something amazing happens. They get an entire new identity. The past is wiped away and they're literally treated as a new person. And all last week and all the way up through this letter so far, we've been listening to Peter tell us about the new future, the new life, the new identity that those who are in Christ have. You might remember from last week, they were called what? A treasured possession. People who now have received mercy, who didn't once have it. They are royal priests. And he also uses the language of sojourners and exiles. And what he is saying is that those who were formerly far away from God now have a new identity in Him. Everything is different. And the, reader is, the reason that Peter goes there is because they, a lot like us, forget, need reminding, to be told over and over again, and to be encouraged about who we really are. You see, if you know who you are, you know how to live. And the reality is, is that Peter tonight is going to begin to make a shift from this identity storyline and begin to tell us in light, in light of being connected to Jesus, now go live this way. Because you are X, now live Y. Live, flesh out this new identity in these unique ways. And so tonight we're going to see three things. We're going to see tonight how Peter is going to show us how to live. And he's going to do it in three quick ways. One, how to live among. Secondly, how to live freely. And then thirdly, how to live as servants. To live among, to live freely, and to live servants, if you like. Live as servants, if you're taking notes. So let's take a look here at this first bit. This first bit of living among. And you saw it right there in the first few verses, I think. When you look at verse 11 and 12, did you catch it? He says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, let's push pause there for just a moment. When he uses that language as sojourners and exiles, he is reminding them of who they are. They are the beloved of Jesus. To use other language that the Bible uses, they are the blood-bought lambs of Jesus. That those men and women who were sinful in their past, those that had broken lives, men and women a lot like you and a lot like me, 
have now been called sojourners and exiles. They've been called a royal priesthood up in verse 9. This is identity language, y'all. And Peter is saying, because you are this, now live this way. And what is it he says in verse 12? Turn your eyes there. He says this, because you are these sort of people, I want you to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. And he also says this, to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Peter assumes, therefore, that our lives are going to be lived among people that do not share the same beliefs and practices, their conduct, their way of life, that Christians do. But Peter doesn't just tell us that we ought to live among those who differ from us. He shares with us how he ought to do it. So I want to turn your eyes to the very beginning there. He says, abstain. How do we do this? How do we live among? First, by abstaining. And he says to abstain from the desires of the flesh. Now, Peter isn't talking about, when he picks up this language of flesh, he's not talking about the idea of like, don't have sex. Or don't eat nice food. Or to abstain from those things that we think are sinful because we're human. No. When he uses the word flesh, it's a theologically loaded word that refers to the old self that has been crucified and is now dead. And it refers to the old nature of that one was prior to them being converted or coming to Christ. And what he's saying is, is don't give in to those desires or those passions of the flesh. Now, what you have to understand about desires is a very critical word. It really means over desires. It actually means desires that are too strong. And the point that Peter is trying to make with this word is to say... Usually these desires are really, really good things. Things like food, things like sex, things like money, things like power. Okay, these things are, these things are not morally evil in and of themselves, but they can be elevated to a position to where they take rank over Jesus himself. And that's what he's saying abstain from that way of living because when you live out that way it actually wages war against your soul but secondly he doesn't just say abstain he says what he says i want you to maintain let me show you where i mean by this peter shows us a second way of how we're to live among the non-christian world by maintaining in verse 12 or keeping and the idea the idea here is is that your conduct your way of life would be honorable compelling or attractive. Another way of translating is this, is keep your conduct am among the Gentiles beautiful. What's Peter saying? He's saying he wants you to live in such a way that the watching world looks at you and they go, your life is magnetic. I'm drawn to the way that you live because of the way you live. Because it's so distinct from everything that I see around the world around me. In the world around me. Peter is saying, I want you to live like that among the people that you're around. So what does this mean? Well, it means one thing in particular. It means that you are going to live in tension. That your lives are going to be marked by a life of tension. You see, on the one hand, to live as exiles and strangers means that you won't live like the world around you. And how we treat one another. And the ways that we use our bodies. And the ways that we use other people's bodies. 
And the ways that we use our money, or the way that we think about the government, or the way that we think about our art and our business, you're going to live distinct. And yet the other side of that tension is this. You're not free to pull away. You must remain. The Christian is called to live in the heart of people who do not agree with everything that they believe. You cannot retreat. And the idea is that there will always be this, as one writer puts it, this differentiated engagement. You know, somebody else calls it something else. Jesus himself calls it what? Salt. You're going to be salt of the earth. Jesus himself calls light, light of the world. And I think those pictures are very, very helpful for us as we try to understand this. Let me show you what I mean. There's a historian named Larry Hurtado. He's a PhD and teaches, uh, teaches over in England. And in his book, Destroyer of the Gods, he tells us about how Christians lived distinct lives in the early three or four centuries of the Christian world. And by doing so, it literally turned the world upside down. For example, the surrounding culture was very liberal with their bodies. They're liberal with their bodies sexually and were very conservative with their money and resources. And yet, right in the midst of that world, those enclaves of that Gentile world, lived these little people called Christoi, Christians, who were what? They were very liberal with their money and resources to the world around them. And yet they maintained very conservative lives sexually. And what he's saying is, is this, is that when those people lived that way, the world leaned in. They took notice and their lives began to be changed too. You see, to live, to live among, to live among is now part of this new calling that we're called to flesh out. And so I just ask you, dear ones, one question you have to answer is this. Am I invested and in, in the lives of my non-Christian friends? Do I love them? Do I care for them? Am I in their worlds? And at the very same time, you have to ask the question, do I live distinct from them? That can be spelled out in a thousand different ways. I'll leave it for you to examine. But if you are a Christian, this is, a, this, is, this is on you, as it were. This is something you must think about. This is what Peter is teaching us. Peter is saying that when you live distinct, beautiful lives among those who are different from you, little by little, you begin to turn the world upside down. A faithful living out of our new identity will always include that we're living among those who don't believe in the way that we do. But he's also going to show us how or in what way we are to live among our non-Christian and non-believing friends in the world. What is it? Well, I'll turn, turn, turn your eyes secondly to this idea of living freely. So living among and then also living freely. You may have caught it there in verse 16. Peter says this, live as people who are free. There it is, live as people who are free. Now, why would Peter say this? Here's why. Because Peter knows what the life, death, and resurrection does for you and for me. And what does it do? It liberates us. It sets us free. It is what the Apostle John has said in John chapter 8, where he says this, that if the Son has set you free, the Son referring to Jesus... You will be free indeed. In other words, for everyone who has trusted in Christ and is connected with Him, you have been 
truly set free because of His work for us. And now you have to ask the question, well, what does that concept of freedom even mean, Ryan? Because unless you define it, it just sounds really, really nebulous. And you could put it on the back of a Hallmark card, okay? So we need to get down to the nitty-gritty of what he's actually talking about. Well, thankfully, we can. Before we go there, we have to understand a couple of things. One, before we can understand what Peter has in mind, you have to understand that what the Bible talks about when it uses the word freedom it does so in a way that runs very against our modern cultural understanding or idea of what freedom is all about. Think about this with me. You see, in our day and age, the idea of freedom connotes the idea of the absence of all restraints. That sound about right to you guys? Freedom is the absence of all restraints. I get to do whatever I want. That's what it means to be truly free. That's what liberty is. It's the ability to do whatever you want. And this idea is deeply ingrained in how we think about life. And y'all, here's the thing I think is so critical. If I've lost you, I want you to wake up for just a moment and say this. And hear me say this. The point is this. That to live a life without restraints is what we believe is the condition for the good and happy life. You see, the good and happy life, the good life, the life well lived, is actually the free life. That's what we begin to think and believe, right? And here's the thing. Think about it like this. Why else does FOMO exist? Why do you get it? Because you are bumping up against the limits of your freedom. You are somewhere and something else is happening. And you cannot be there. And so you begin to sense how this is driving us. We want the freedom. We want the absence of all restraints. You cannot choose to be in two places at one time. And so the idea then is this. Is that really true? Does this really line up? This notion of freedom, does it actually line up to the way that life actually is? And I think an often used illustration helps us here. It's sort of silly, but it gets the idea of it, right? Think about the fish. The fish that longs to be free from the water that he or she is swimming in, right? He wakes up one day, oh man, this water is so absolutely oppressive and restrictive. I can't stand it. Life is going to be so much better where I am not limited out there on the land. I can't wait to break the water surface and be out on the land. And the moment he does that, what happens? He's got a few minutes and the fish is what? Free from the water, but also what? Dead. Dead. And so the idea there is, is that the quest for real and true freedom, and therefore a good life, is not about throwing off all limits and restraints. Rather, as one author put it, true freedom, true freedom, is about finding which restraints will bring the most flourishing in your life, and then living within them. Let me say that again. True freedom is about finding which restraints will bring the most flourishing in your life and then living within them. And the way that you know which restraints will bring about your joy and flourishing are the precisely the ones that fit your design. A fish is designed to swim. He is most a fish when he is in the water, limited therein. Now we're able to answer the question. When Peter says, live as a people who are free, he is saying, 
I want you to see that you have been liberated from an old way of life, an old principle, an old power that drives your life. It is freedom from, as Peter has said earlier, the desires of the flesh. But moreover, it is freedom from using your new status as a license for sin or for covering up evil. That's what it says right there in the text. If your new freedom is a cover-up for evil, it means that you don't yet understand who God is, who you are, and how you are to live. When the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus comes crashing home in your life, something happens. Witness protection program. New identity. And what this means is liberating. But if you're in Christ, do you know what no longer defines you? Your sin. Your brokenness. That is not the thing that defines who you are as a man or a woman anymore. Anymore. There is a greater name over you, as it were. There's a new freedom. It is a Christ one or a Christian. You belong to Jesus. You are His treasured possession. You are a people who have received mercy. No matter how you feel today. No matter how you feel in the moment. No matter how bad your week was. Or what your parents think about you. Jesus looks at you and smiles. And that is the thing that most defines you now. That's what Peter knows to be true. And you've been liberated and set free from all of those things that have crushed you and been killing you. Peter is saying, you live free. You live free because this really is who you are. I want you so bad to see this. Peter is basically saying, wake up, remember who you are, y'all. We really have been set free. You do not have to go back into your cages. I know they feel like home, but they're not. I want this to be profound encouragement for you. If you are in Christ today, you really have been set free from the rule of sin or the law of sin or the principle of sin in your life. It is not your master anymore. And while you will struggle with it till the day you die, in practice you owe it nothing. It does not define who you are anymore. And that is powerful, y'all. That'll preach. That will move you. It will send you out to the world with confidence to know that you have the smile of God because of what Jesus has done for you. That's what he's trying to get at. Well, he doesn't just say that Peter is Peter's not only saying, I want you to live out a life consistent with the new birth that you've experienced. You're free people. Live like it. He actually is telling us something else as well. And this drives home the third point. He's saying, I want you to live as servants. And doing so is living. To do so is actually to live that beautiful life, that noble, that honorable life that he spoke of. Take a look with me in this last section here. How does Peter understand living as servants? Well, look at verse 16, right? He tells us, he says in verse 16, live as a people who are free, not using your freedoms to cover up as evil, but what? But living as servants of God. And then up in verse 13, we see the language of being subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. That language of subject, of being subject, is literally to submit oneself to, 
to uh, sit under the authority of. It was a military term, right? You know how uh, generals would have rank over a certain amount of men and, and captains and on down the line. That's what it is. And what he is saying is this, is that this is how you are to live among, the non, among non-believers. You are to submit yourself under all human institutions. You really have been set free to serve another supreme authority, God himself. And now use that freedom, that freedom to, that freedom to God, to submit yourself under all human institutions. Here's the thing you have to hear me saying. If all you conceive of is freedom from something, you'll never understand the Christian gospel. You'll never understand it. Because the Bible talks about we have been set free from ourselves. We have a new master, God Himself. And now we are, we have, we are His servants, as it were, and we're free from that posture. That's what he's trying to get you to see here. Bob Dylan once said this. He said it perfectly. You've got to serve somebody. And that's exactly what Peter is getting at. The Christian has been set free to give his life over to God now in a thousand different ways. And that life lived conformed to God's commands and his ways are those good restraints that we talked about earlier with the fish that will bring us life. Now let's take a look at the applications. They're vast and I want to just touch on them for a second. Notice with me in verse 17, he says what? Use that authority, use that new freedom. How? To love the brotherhood. To love those inside the body of believers. One way to think about this is how we might throw people under the bus from other campus ministries or other churches, right? And, and, and Peter's saying, don't do that. Honor the brotherhood. You've been set free from those old ways. Love. Love. Honor. What else does he say? Look at how he says it outside as well. He says, I want you to honor what? Ev- honor every human institution. Well, this just has a thousand applications. Paying your taxes fairly. Kindness to that mean boss that you have. Right? How you think about the consumption of alcohol. Uh, speed limit signs. That's an institution set up by God. And that when I and you go over the speed limit, we are, we are as it were, giving the finger to God because we're saying, the institution that you have set up, O oh God, I don't care about. Now you begin to go, Whoa, Ryan, can you just chill out here? That seems a little heavy-handed. I know it seems heavy-handed. It's just actually what the Bible is saying. And we need God's grace to be able to live this way, which we're going to get to in just a moment. But hang with me. I want you to begin to see the high calling that the Christian has. And here's the thing I want you to understand. Peter understands honoring the emperor as part of faithful Christian living. And the same is true for us, though we do not have an empire or an emperor. Every institution has been set up by God for the common good and well-being of the land. That doesn't mean that government, government can't be corrupt. It most certainly can. Nor does it mean that everything that government does is right. It most certainly doesn't. But we are not allowed to be cynical about our government. And instead, we're to live beautiful lives in the way that we pray for our leaders and the way that we submit to them, because to do so is an act of Christian faithfulness. And while this list could go on, the point is this. 
that Christians should be some of the best citizens of whatever institution, their work, the state, their family, the gym they work out in, the neighborhood they live in, of whatever they're a part of, Christians should be some of the best citizens. Because Jesus is calling us to that. And you may say, I don't really like this. I get it. I don't either. (laughs) But here's the thing. You know that the scriptures are hard sometimes because they say things that are confusing and hard to understand. But sometimes the scriptures are hard, as one pastor puts it, because they're so plainly clear. So clear here. And what I want you to notice is that in verse 13 it says, For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Now, y'all, here's the payoff. Here's the payoff. Peter knows that the way that those who speak maliciously and ignorantly against Christians will be persuaded to other considerations and possibly even salvation itself by the way that Christians live their lives as servants of God. This means rarely will people come to a firm understanding and belief in Christ by what I do, by preaching and teaching. And so here's the thing. You want to live a radical life? Some of y'all are all about that. I want to live radical for Jesus. Here's what he's saying. You don't have to go to a third world country to do it and be a missionary. Though I want some of you to do that. But you want to live a radical life? You honor the authorities. You honor every human institution. And the watching world who sees that from their frame of reference where I ought to be free to do whatever the heck I want to do, when they see people submitting to good authority, they go, what? Why in the world would you do that? The world begins to see. And here is what Peter is building up to. When people see this, they say, why are you doing this? And remember, if personal freedom and expression is the pinnacle of our modern notion of personhood, people will have to ask, and they'll have to think that. You can say, because I've been set free to do so. And I mean, they will be stunned that you would make choices like this against such a popularly, culturally held belief. Here is what Peter is saying. The gospel changes how we think about authority and freedom. Our new freedom, our new freedom... Our new identity, rather, gives us a new freedom to submit to a new authority, which is God and not ourselves. And moreover, how you live a life under authority to other people and institutions provides a powerful, lived-out witness and apologetic to God's grace to sinners. We're going to see later in chapter 3 that our arguments and words do have a place in bearing witness about who Christ is, but they will be hollow. They will be not heard if our lives do not match up to what we say. Does that make sense? That's why your life must be lived beautifully, Peter is saying. And so I'm summarizing my last point. Peter is telling us, since we've really been set free, to use our freedom by living as servants to all the institutions that God has placed over us and to give our lives away for others. I'll land the plane here. One pastor tells the story of how a particular parishioner ended up uh, at his church. And after the sermon one day, this woman came up to him and said this, I have to tell you how I came to this church. He said, okay. Well, about a month ago, she said, I screwed up big time at work. And I should have gotten fired because of it. 
But when I came into work that next day, terrified that I was going to lose my job, which, by the way, as a single mother, would have ruined my life, I learned that my boss took the blame for my mistake. And with his credibility and tenure with the company, all he got was a reprimand. So I went to him and said, how in the world, how, how did you do this? Why would you do this? I've had a lot of bosses in my life who took credit for the work that I did. I've never had a boss who took the blame for my mistake. Why would you do this? Well, the man said, well, you're a great employee and I really enjoy having you around and I know you didn't mean to do it and I know you'd be faithful moving forward. We want you around. She said, no, 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 no. Why? Why did you do this? Why would you do this for me? And then he said, do you really want to know? She said, yes, tell me, please, I want to know. And he said this, okay, I'm a Christian. And I go to this church where we talk and we sing about and we pray about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ all the time. We said that Jesus took the blame for me when I wanted nothing to do with Him. That He gave Himself for me. And that changes our lives to go out into the world and not just live in light of it, but to model it for other people. She said, what kind of church is that? And he said, one that lives for heaven in this world. That's why I'm here today. What if there was a community, a community of people right here in TCU, who were so in tune with who they were, with the future grace to be theirs, that they lived beautiful lives like this. That they were so banking on what God in Christ had done for them and what they one day would do for them, that it caused them to live this way because of what Jesus has done, His life, His death, His resurrection. It is exactly and nothing less what He has made us if we have the name Christ, if we take the name Christ, have us to be. And He gives us all that we need to be able to do it. And so I just want to leave you with this. Let's pray. Let's pray and ask God that He would indeed make us the sort of people who would live freely as servants among those who don't yet know Him. That's Peter's hope. Is it yours? Let's pray.